Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And right now, here he is, the one, the only, what was your name again? <laughs> you know, when you get as old as you are, Zeb, <laughs> you start, you start losing, coming. you know, memory, vision, you know, so. Where are we? We're why, supposed to be at the post that's office. That's why I asked if you could see me when I walked in. And a boy. Dr. Yeah. History, how are you? Doing great. Beautiful yeah. day out there. Oh, well, yes. Sunny and nice. and Any day we're vertical and moving, it's, it's a beautiful it's a good day. day. It yes, is. Sir. Yep. What are you going to talk about today? We're going to hit the Pony Express. I mean, oh, that's really? something everybody's heard about. I should say most people have heard about it. So we're just going to kind of go through it. I've got a, a story about a couple of the writers and some of the things that they did that were pretty extraordinary. It, it was only in existence, correct me if I'm wrong, it was just a little better than a year, wasn't it? Eight, about 18 months. 18 months, yeah. 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 So the guys that organized this, there was a guy named Russell Majors and Waddell, and they organized and put together the Pony Express in just two months in the winter of 1860. 1860. 1860. So this was a huge undertaking. Now consider they figured they'd need 120 riders, 184 stations, 400 horses, and several hundred of the personnel, the guys at the stations, to take care of the horses and have them ready when they came through. And this was in January and February, so it's still pretty cold out there. So anyway, this Majors, he was a religious man, and he resolved, quote, by the help of God, to overcome all difficulties. And he presented each rider with a Bible and required this oath. And here's what he had them uh, take as an oath. Quote, While I am the employee of A majors, I agree not to use profane language, not to get drunk, not to gamble, not to treat animals cruelly, and not to do anything else that is incompatible with the conduct of a gentleman. And I agree if I violate any of these above conditions, to accept my discharge without pay for my services. You know what? That was in 1860? Right. Would you please make some copies so that we could send that back to Congress? You know, what? A, <laughs> but you look at that, I mean, any employer uh, could get that kind of an agreement with his employees, yeah. you know. But anyway, yeah. so here we are. It's 1860, uh, and actually they started out with about 157 Pony Express stations. There were about 10 miles uh, apart, which is about 16 kilometers, uh, along the Pony Express route. So they were 10 miles apart, you said? 10 to 15. I'm going to have a lot of questions here. My first question, and I don't mean to take your time away, how did they determine the route? Well, mainly they they went uh, a lot along the Oregon Trail. So it was all it was already established somewhat as to where they were how they were going to get where they got. I see. So, get where they got. Get where they got. Isn't that English? No. Uh, did what college did you graduate from? <laughs> so anyway, so this uh, you know ten miles was about roughly the distance a horse could travel at a gallop before getting too tired. Uh, and at each station stop, the express rider would change to a fresh horse, taking only the small pouch they called it a mojila, which is Spanish for pouch or backpack. Now, the employers uh, stressed the importance of the pouch. They often said that if it came to be the horse and rider should perish before the mohila did, the mohila was thrown over the saddle and held in place by the weight of the rider sitting on it. And each corner 
of the had a of this uh, po- had a pocket. Yeah. So there were four pockets, and bundles of mail were placed in these quote cantinas, and they were actually padlocked for safety. And the only people that had the key was the guys at the beginning in St. Joe and the guys at the end in Sacramento. So they couldn't add they, to it along no, the route. They couldn't add or take anything out of it along the way. Oh. So the mohila or the you know the pouch could hold about twenty pounds of mail along with twenty pounds of material carried on the horse and this included actually twenty pounds were uh, water uh, they had kind of a sack some kind of a way to carry water yeah. Uh, yeah. and then a Bible a horn for alerting the relay station master to get ready for the next horse, a revolver. Now I got a question there. What about a guy that couldn't toot the horn? <laughs> you just you just blow. <laughs> so you had the horn, a revolver, and a choice of a a rifle or another revolver. Now, eventually, everything except one revolver and the water sack was removed, and this allowed for about 165 pounds on the horse's back. So these guys had to be fairly little guys. Exactly. Yeah, and actually, they could not weigh over 125 pounds. Whoa. Bull riders. Yeah, but they changed horses about every 75 to 100 miles, and they rode day and night. In emergencies, a given rider might ride two stages uh, back-to-back over 20 hours on a horse. So, And I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about guys that went a lot farther. Now, than, you said than, change horses every 75 to 100 miles. No, that no, can't be right. No, changed uh, uh, the riders. Oh, well, I The riders would horses. go 75 to 100, then okay. a new rider. So, you know, the approximately 1,900 miles route, okay, and I, I mentioned this, followed the Oregon Trail, the California Trail to Fort Bridger in Wyoming, and then the Mormon Trail to Salt Lake City, and from there it roughly followed the central Nevada route to Carson City, over the Sierras into Sacramento, California. So it went down through uh, Kansas, Nebraska, Nebraska along the Platte River. Uh, Wyoming went through Fort Bridger. Uh, Utah it actually went south of the Great Salt Lake. Okay, and then I'm into Nevada. So over by Provo, etc.? Yeah, kind of around the south end. Now, I know where it th- went through Nevada. Okay. You've been down there by Ely. You're, yeah. Actually, McGill. Yes. Yeah. And on, then on to, to Sacramento. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, the, the Pony uh, Express mail service existed, as I just mentioned, about 18 months, 1860 to about 1861. And there really, unfortunately, there's very few examples of surviving Pony Express mail today. Really? And contributing to the scarcity of surviving Pony Express mail was the fact that the cost to send one half ounce, okay, one half ounce letter was $5. That is $120 in today's money. Wow. So now at the beginning, it was a lot of money and, you know, mostly unaffordable to, to most people. Uh, by the end of the period of the Pony Express, the price had dropped to a dollar an ounce, or for a half ounce. But even even that... Half uh, ounce. Let's see. What would that be? But uh, oh, Not very much. A, an one, envelope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even at a dollar uh, a half ounce, that was about $24 in today's money. Wow. So it was expensive. It was a, you know... But, you surprised me when you said they didn't take on any more mail along the route. So this was basically eastern mail that was locked up and sent all the way to the coast. Right, and west back to the east. Yep, that's that was it. I didn't know they didn't now, take one on. Of the, one of the major challenges they faced at one time was the Paiute Indian War because of the raids and the ambushes initiated by the Paiute Indian tribe in Nevada yeah. before this took place. Yeah. And that resulted in the disruption of the mail service of the Pony Express, and it took place 
place, uh, like I say, about 1860. But there were 6,000 Paiute Indians in Nevada, okay, at this time. And they during and, winter... And one poor little Pony Express and, rider. And they had blizzards. You've been across there. By spring, this whole tribe was ready to embark on the warpath because they had not been getting the supplies that they were supposed to be getting. And they ran 12 months a year, the Pony Express. Yes, yeah, for, for 18 months. How did they get through those passes and everything? It, it, was, it was not easy. But the Indians kind of went on the warpath. They killed a few of the station... Uh, guys, and so it was a rough deal for for these Indians, and they see these Pony Express riders coming through. So anyway, it cost the, the uh, Pony Express about seventy five thousand dollars in stolen horses and equipment and gear. How many Express riders were killed? And uh, is there a list? I think of... I'm going to get to that. Oh, I think so. But during this uh, brief war, like I say, the Pony Express. Uh, Left San Francisco on July twenty first, eighteen sixty, and oh, this is this is one letter. Okay, one letter left the Pony Express uh, in uh, leaving for San Francisco, and it finally arrived in St. Joseph, Missouri, two years later. Well, you know why rush it? <laughs> it what the horse do? Go lame? It was. Uh, I don't know what route it took, but it, it, wow. it took two years. But you know, when they advertised for these guys, they they the sign said "Wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over eighteen, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred." <laughs> because, well, it kind of give you a warm, fuzzy feeling being employed, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Anyway, the Pony Express had an estimated 80 riders that were in use at any one given time. In other words, 80 on the trail at one time. And there were about 400 other employees, including the station keepers, the stock tenders, the route superintendents. Uh, A lot of young men applied for jobs with the Pony Express, and they were eager to face the dangers and the challenges that lay along the route. And, in fact, Mark Twain, uh, he said, uh, when he saw this firsthand, he says, quote, Usually a little bit of a man, though the riders were small, lightweight, generally teenage boys, their untarnished record proved them to be the heroes of the American West for the much-needed and dangerous service they provided for the nation. I have a question on the uh, the, the Pony Express stops. Uh, how many people were employed there? Just one guy? A lot of times just one. Sometimes they'd maybe so have they a were out, they were living out in the wilderness all with by nothing. themselves with nothing exactly yeah but actually probably more than any other rider in the Pony Express there was a guy that we know his name is William Cody yeah better known Bill. as Buffalo Bill and he uh, kind of epitomizes the legend and the folklore of the Pony Express you know he was kind of that hero out there everybody loved but there's a lot of stories that have been told of young Cody's adventures as a Pony Express rider and at actually at the age of 15 Cody was on his way to California when he met up with Pony Express agents along the way and he signed on with the company. But he wasn't old enough to be a writer yet. So he actually helped in the construction of some of the way stations. Now consider this, that they had to build these little cabins or whatever and corrals all the way across. So and then ten miles apart. Yeah. Okay. But uh, later he became employed as a rider and was given a short forty-five mile delivery run. Um, and after seven, several months, he was transferred to another place in Wyoming. And actually, he made the longest non-stop ride from a place called Red Butte Station to Rocky Ridge Station, a distance of three hundred and twenty-two. He miles. made it all by himself. Yeah, twenty-one hours and forty minutes, and a total of twenty-one horses. So. 21 hours. Now, let me ask you. You ride, and I still ride. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> 20, 
21 hours. Ooh, yeah, that'd be like the Salt Lake and back halfway. That's, that's highballing, man. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. And, of course, we know that he became a scout during the Civil War and, and earned his but name. But he was not that small a man, though. No, he wasn't. Nope. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Robert Haslam, and they called him Pony Bob. I've heard that. Okay. Yeah. And now I got to switch papers. Here. And you got to find Pony I Bob. Find Pony Bob. Okay. Where the heck did he go? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time in all these years on the program that Doctor History has here run it, amok. Here it is. Here it is. I got okay. him. I got him. Okay. This is the story of a famous ride by Pony Bob Haslam, who made one of the greatest mail rides in American history in March of 1861. Now. Because of the importance of making fast delivery on, this was actually President Lincoln's 1861 inaugural address. So elaborate preparations have been made to speed the address from St. Joe to Sacramento. So a fresh pony was stationed every 10 miles along the 1,966-mile route. Mm. Now, Pony Bob was one of these guys that was selected to make the ride over one of the more especially hazardous sections because the warring Paiute Indians had been attacking the travelers all through that area. And one story tells how Pony Bob received his pouch with President Lincoln's address in Nevada, and he took off headed west, making the fastest run ever to a place called Cold Springs, Nevada, uh-huh. one of the major stops along the trail to Fort Churchill. And he, at this point, he hadn't seen any Indians along the way. So this seemed to be too good to be true. Well, at Cold Springs, he asked for a horse called Old Buck. Old Buck. Old Buck. Not the fastest horse, Uh but one noted for fighting against the Indians. And so he got on Old Buck and on his way to Fort Churchill. Well, Pony Bob found himself charging through a series of ambushes. Finally, Old Buck pointed his ears forward. And you know what? I mean, cowboys, they watch the horse's ears. Oh, yeah. I don't know if people know that, but when you're watching your horse, when he flickers his ears forward or back or something, you know he's hearing something that you're not. So, Old Buck pointed his ears forward and snorted a warning, and Haslam cocked his two guns and rode on. Indians came at him from all directions. He dropped flat on his horse. Bob raced on as the Indians came out of the brush, firing bullets and arrows from every direction. Pretty soon, he was surrounded by mounted warriors, several on stolen Pony Express horses. But Old Buck could outrun the Indian ponies, but not the Pony Express horses. Bob had no choice but to shoot the ponies as they approached him. And that's the sad part, I shouldn't say. But that's the kind of, you know, you hate to see a horse die. You hate to see anybody die, but, you know. He was saving his neck. Yeah. So one by one, Pony Bob got the the, uh, Indian ponies until there was only three left. Now, as these dropped back, an arrow struck Bob's left arm, hit the bone, and remained there quivering in his arm. So you got this picture, Zeb? A horse running dead as fast as it can. This guy's got an arrow stuck in his arm. Yeah. All right? And I, it, all the more reason I didn't join the <laughs> Pony Express. Yeah, me too. Now, he managed to get the arrow out. All right? I can't imagine. Yeah, Pull that arrow out. Yeah, yeah. And he rode on through a narrow ravine that forced the Indians following him to fall into single file. He was able to shoot down two more Indian ponies, but the third got away. He threw away one empty revolver. He took out the other one. Why did he throw it away? That was a weight. He didn't want to mess around. Yeah, but why didn't he reload the son of a gun? Well, he was in a hurry. So, Hmm. you know, he threw away that revolver, and he turned to fire at the one Indian still following. An arrow tore into his cheek, knocking out five teeth, and fractured his jaw. 
Okay, now keep this in mind. He did not lose consciousness, but turned and emptied his gun at the remaining Indian. Old Buck carried him to the next relay station. There, Bob spent about five minutes taking care of his wounds. Whoa, 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 whoa. Five minutes? Five minutes. He, he had an arrow hanging out of his mouth? Well, he may have pulled it out. I oh, don't know. Yeah, uh, But he insisted on finishing his run to Fort Churchill. So in this remarkable episode... How was he able to blow his bugle? <laughs> that was, uh, only you would think of that. <laughs> I couldn't blow a bugle anyway. Okay, so he's on his way. <laughs> anyway, badly wounded, and he had gone 120 miles in 8 hours and 10 minutes. And uh, that makes kind of today's Wild West stories seem pretty tame. But Pony Bob's ride was part of the fastest trip made by a Pony Express uh, carrier. So, Holy buckets. Yeah. Where are we at? Oh, we still got a little bit of time. We got time. I'm still going back to that arrow hanging out of his yeah. mouth. So there was about a uh, about 400 horses yeah. uh, in total that were used by the Pony Express to deliver mail. And the horses, now think of this, Deb, they were selected uh, specifically for what they could do. So on the east end of the Pony Express, the horses were usually selected from U.S. Cavalry units okay? okay now at the west end of the pony express route in california they had a hundred head of short coupled stock uh, called quote california horses have you heard of that term well california I, horses I, I think when you say short couple and everything the the breeding and the the lineage from the mexican mustangs etc kind of like a quarter horse yeah yeah. Okay. So, and then uh, through Nevada, in the middle part, they actually purchased 200 native ponies in and around the Great Salt Lake Valley. So they had kind of three groups of horses that uh, specific for the area they were going to be riding. I cannot imagine. When you have you been to that uh, monument there in outside of McGill? Uh, for the Pony Express riders. And you can look up to your left when you're looking south, look to your left, and you can see the pass they came down through and then that great big basin valley they had to run across on their way to California. Wow, in the wintertime, how did they do that? Well, you know, the horses were ridden as fast as they could, and I mentioned 10 to 15 miles, uh, ridden by a fresh horse. now, during the route of 80 to 100 miles, a Pony Express rider would change horses 8 to 10 times. So about eight. But one rider would go that far. Right, exactly. So, and the horses were ridden. Now, sometimes we picture them going at a, at a really fast gallop, and that was true at sometimes, but sometimes there's just a fast trot. Yeah. Or a, a canter, which is, uh, how do we describe that? It's just a, it's like a slow gallop. Slow lope. Yeah. 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 But, you know, that's true about the, the jog. Uh, a lot of people see these stupid movies and television shows that show Wells Fargo stagecoaches always going at a gallop. They didn't they, do that. No, no. They couldn't make it they that They didn't long. do that. So, they, they figure they averaged about 25 miles an hour okay uh, so anyway there, there's a, a lot of great stories about rides and riders uh, there was a guy named Thomas Owen King who uh, became a rider out of uh, in Utah and he rode one route and the rider wasn't there he rode the next route the rider wasn't there he rode about 200 miles and in his journal he says even then he said I wasn't uh, so tired that I couldn't take my girlfriend for a little walk 
So these guys were they tough. were tough guys. Tough. And, uh, you know, one thing in the wintertime, how did they ever sustain themselves in the weather? Well, they, and, they had to be freezing. And this guy, uh, Thomas Owen King, talks about uh, uh, being attacked by Indians. He talks about one time he became snowblind because... If you know, yeah. I mean, if the sun's out and there's fresh snow, it's too bright. Too bright. And he became snowblind and had to stay in total darkness in a bedroom for like three days before before his uh, sight came back. Oh my! Another goodness. time, he got lost in a snowstorm, and luckily he was able to find a ca- somebody's cabin and was able to get into their cabin and get warmed up. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, the things they put up with and. Uh, they how, were pretty amazing. How many Pony Express riders did they lose? You know, I did not see that anywhere, so I, I don't know. But they actually lost more station attendants than they did riders. Well, they're all by themselves. They're by themselves. And uh, and they can run away. Right. In fact, I've got a story that I'm going to tell probably in the next few weeks about a, a station uh, attendant. And he uh, he had adopted a little uh, Pawnee Indian boy that lived with him there at this station. I, I'm gonna, that's a pretty interesting story. What did they get paid? I was not enough, whatever it was. Uh, oh, man. Because, again, you're sitting out there with some nice horses, some hay, uh, grain, uh, some supplies for the uh, food for the riders and food for the the attendants. So you were a prime target for the Indians. Well, that's the next thing I was going to ask you in the time remaining. What about the Pony Express riders themselves? I mean, what did they just have, beef jerky to take with them and try to eat? Well, they, they would have something at the station for them to grab kind of on the run. But... What they would do is... It they, was the first McDonald's drive-in. It was, it was a ride-through. Ride-through. <laughs> but what they would do is uh, they would get to the station where they stopped, and they might have a few hours or even uh, 10 or 12 hours before they then took the next horse going back the way they came. So they did. Oh. They went back and forth between oh. one station or uh, one route oh, to the next route. I so, see. You, a lot of the riders would ride the same route over and over, west to Kinda east, like and then east to west. Ping pong ball. Beast, yeah, back and yeah, forth back on and the forth. on the yeah. uh, the same route. So in one way that was good because they got to know the route. Then they knew the terrain better. Exactly. That they, makes a lot of sense. Sure. Because sure. then they'd know, you know, I stay on this side or that yeah, side. Look out for that chasm by that rock. <laughs> Yeah, here we go. So, anyway, Pony Express has always fascinated me, and I I guess anything to do with horses fascinates me, and I, I love, wow. you know. Interesting story. I've got a lot more questions, but we ran out of time. We did. Hey, buddy, thanks. You betcha. Uh, next week? Mm. We'll see what You don't happens. know what you're going to do, huh? Okay. <laughs> All right. Listen, folks, Dr. History, always with a great segment on Zeb at the Ranch. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, Zeb, could I say one thing real quick? You I already say, are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even ask, I asked your permission. <laughs> I want to say hi to Jeff, one of our listeners in Costa Rica. Really? Costa Rica. Jeff's Costa Rica. A, uh, one of our favorite listeners. or fa- I mean, he's been listening for several years now. Hello, Jeff. So, hi, Jeff in Costa Rica. He's probably having a Mai Tai living underneath a shaded hut right now. Well, he has invited me to come and stay. Uh, I don't blame If I ever him. get that direction. Wow. Okay, Jeff, there you go.